Um, yeah, let's. Uh, let me, I'll give you a second to get there, and let me get situated here, desk. Um, can everyone hear me okay? Does it need to be a little louder or anything? All good? All right. Um, okay, Ephesians chapter 3 begins with, for this reason, okay, so again, just like we did in chapter 2, we gotta we got to rewind a little bit to head into the chapter, okay? For this reason, all right, for what reason? Because, I'll read uh, chapter 2, verse 19 to the end of the chapter. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God uh, by the Spirit. Oh. Okay, here we go. This might help. There. Um, Stephen was still spotlighted as the speaker. So, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit for this reason. Okay? So we've just, we've ended the chapter um, much like chapter 1 ends. We've ended it in the middle of a thought. Okay? So the, the Jews and the Gentiles are together being built to, in, in one body into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And it's for that reason that Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, the, chapter 3 is interesting because it's really all one big thought, but he, he stops in the middle to say a few things about himself. Okay, so he has sort of this, uh, he, he explains a little bit of his ministry. And so what I have in my Bible is I have a little parenthesis starting at chapter 2, and then it ends at the end of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 2. A parenthesis in verse 2, and it ends in verse 13. Okay, that's sort of a parenthetical aside. Because in verse 14, he picks back up again with, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Okay, so he starts chapter 3, and his, his goal is to pray for them. The great prayer at the end of the chapter. Um, but he, he stops himself before he gets there, and goes off on, a, on an aside about the ministry that he has been entrusted with. All right, and he, that's one of actually the main themes through the book, is Paul talking about his own ministry. And I don't think he's just trying to disclose his autobiography. I think he is modeling for the Ephesians um, what they should all grasp, a, a solid understanding of who they are in, in God and who they've been given to. All right, so he, Paul keeps saying, I've been given to you. This grace was given to me for you. All right, and that, that builds the theme then of the church, okay? And so let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's just finished explaining 
the mystery, the, the glorious thing that, that, that out of two, he's making one new man, and that whole structure is, is one dwelling place for God. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So this is one of the verses that, that uh, people point to to show that this is probably a more general letter than some of Paul's other letters, uh, where, he's, where he is addressing particular individuals or a small community. He's not sure whether who's reading this letter uh, knows who he is or kind of knows his story. All right, so he fills in his backstory a little bit here. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And in the King James, this is a great, I love the, the way it tra it's translated. It's to me, uh, it, that was given unto me to you word. <laughs> to you word. Um, and this is uh, what I think he is trying to, to get at when he uh, talks about his own ministry, his own apostleship, is that grace has been poured out into his life. He, it's the King James says a dispensation, or the ESV says a stewardship, but he has received something of God, something of God's grace. And we talked a lot about grace last week. Well, now he is showing how the grace is really directed toward others. It, it is a grace of God, but very often we, we think of the grace of God as something that kind of is, is to us, and then it ends there. All right, this is a grace, as he says, that was given to me for you. Okay. Um, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And you can read, there's, there's several parts in the book of Acts where you can read uh, the story of Paul's conversion. One is the narration of his actual conversion. And then there's a couple other places where he, he gives his testimony as he's on trial. And he retells the story of his conversion. It was made known to me by revelation. Uh, as I have written briefly. And... Uh, yeah, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is, and here he just says it very clearly, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, so he wants to make it absolutely clear that, and that finishes the thought that he started in, verse, in, in chapter 2, that we are talking about a, a redefinition of the people of God. Okay, the people of God used to be the children of the promise, the children of the covenant, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now it is those who are in Christ. That is who the people of God are. All right. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And I was reading uh, this week in, in Acts about Paul's, um, some of Paul's testimony and, and his, his journey uh, to Jerusalem um, and all of the, the trial that where he appeals to Caesar and everything. And when he gets to Jerusalem, uh, he, he, um, he is like, he's treated almost exactly like Jesus, okay, uh, by the Jews. They, um, 
they know who he was formerly and they either believe he is a traitor or believe that he once again wants to persecute uh, Christians. They don't believe a word that he says. And so he testifies and that's where he has to appeal to Caesar. But they're going to, they're going to skirt, they're, they're, they're uh, lining him up and he, he's about to be scourged in, in just the, way, the same way that Jesus was. And uh, <laughs> then, he, then he appeals to Caesar and the guy, the guy who has him in chains, um, he, you know, he, he instantly releases him and he's scared. Um, but he says, I am the very least of all the saints. And I, I really don't think that that's false humility. Uh, I think that Paul had come to the place of, you know, he, he felt a, a great shame for his former life. Out of zeal, he was persecuting the church. And um, remember, the first time we, we see Paul in the book of Acts is when he is kind of overseeing the, the, the stoning of Stephen. All right. And that must have pained Saul greatly throughout the course of his life. So he says, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. Um, so that would everyone meaning Jews and Gentiles. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So he's revealing to the to the Jews how he, how God is indeed being faithful to his promise to Abraham. And he's revealing to the Gentiles the fact that it's it's through that same Messiah that they too become part of the people of God. So that through the church, and this is kind of what it all points to, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and that's the many-sided or the intricate wisdom of God. And I love that, uh, I love that word to describe the wisdom of God, because God's wisdom is not, it's not simple. It's not, um, it, it, is, it is deep understanding of life and the way things are, um, and how to bring about, how to bring about his will, even though mankind has turned its back from him, uh, and it, using the free will that he himself gave them. All right. So the wisdom of God is able to bring his purposes to pass according to the good pleasure of his will, while dealing with people uh, who are free to are free to rebel against that and, and to work against his purpose, all right? So the, the intricate wisdom of God has now been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places by the church, all right? We often think that, you know, we need to see into the spiritual realm to see what's really going on, and I think that's true. There's some truth to that. But what this is saying is that the spirit realm is looking at the church to figure out what's really going on. <laughs> that uh, it says in, I think it's First Peter, that these are things, that the, the things that are being preached to the, to the church, the message that Paul has, are things that angels longed to look into. All of heaven was wondering, how is God going to, how, how is he going to do this? How is he going to be faithful to his covenant? How is he going to um, bring to, to bring about all the things that he has promised to his people 
while at the same time dealing with the mess that they've made of, of the nation of Israel, right? How in the world is he going to do this? And the answer is Jesus. He deals with their sin and he fulfills his promise. He saves the world through his people, even though they were rebellious to the last um, and, and stubborn, as it says in, in uh, Isaiah. Uh, okay, so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So th that's an amazing thing to think about, that the way that we live communicates to the spiritual realm what God is up to and what he's about. That's a, that is, to me, a, a something that will take a lifetime for me to wrap my head around. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. And this eternal purpose is something is the thing that he was mentioning back in chapter 1, before the ages, uh, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. It was always Christ Jesus. He, he, he had his plan in mind from the foundation of the world that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is not the first time he's mentioned access. Um, the, the door is opened by the Holy Spirit, um, not just into the nation of Israel, but into the very presence of God by the Spirit. Jew, Gentile, we have access to God. Right. This was one thing that Israel had that others didn't, access to God. And even they had it in a very limited sense. Right. They had the temple and there was a whole ritual uh, about appearing before God, and there were all kinds of stipulations that had to be met before the presence of God could be accessed. Otherwise, you didn't want the presence of God, because the presence of God meant death. <laughs> when God showed up, people died. Ground opened up and swallowed people. Uh, a plague swept through the camp. I mean, these are the things that happen when God shows up by his presence. But now we have boldness and access, all right, because uh, in whom... In Christ, we have boldness and access, access with confidence. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, so there is, is his little parenthetical statement on the ministry that he's been given, the, the mystery that's been revealed to him to preach to the Gentiles. And it's really the grace that's been given to him. He says, the grace was poured out on me for you. And this is what it's about. So then he gets back to his prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every family is, uh, so there's, there's the whole family of God, but then there's each family that is a, it's kind of a miniature family of God. But every family, and really, um, if you have the ESV, you have a footnote that says it's, the, the word is every fatherhood. All fatherhood is named after the Father, uh, the Heavenly Father. In heaven and on earth, that according to the riches of his glory, and this is his big prayer, right? For this reason, because they're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, for this reason, he prays this, that according to to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I am praying that you would be filled, that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit, that Spirit that's, that's building you together, that you would be strengthened in your inner being so that Christ, that Messiah, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is the new covenant. This is the, the, the prophetic uh, announcement of the new covenant, that the word would be on your heart, written on your heart. And it's not just, it's not just words. It's Messiah himself may dwell in your hearts. It's not just a, a law. It is the embodiment of the law. The law incarnate is written on our hearts. This should call to mind all of the prophetic, um, the prophetic anticipation of the new covenant. Uh, Ezekiel, I would take you out of the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Right? So much of this is about comprehending or understanding or having the eyes of our heart enlightened to know something okay these are things that are unknowable except by the spirit may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge <laughs> you can't know it in the human way of knowing it surpasses that that's why this is a spiritual thing. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that gets back to the end of chapter 1 when he says, and, and you have been filled in him. Um, he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's trying to describe who the church is because of what God has done uh, in Jesus by the Spirit, okay? Here is what the church is because of what the Father has done by the Son, in the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And that's the whole thought running through here. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, okay? Because the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all, I am bowing my knees to the Father that the Holy Spirit, the one who builds the, the building together, would, would truly be among you. That this, he is praying that the work would go on that no human can cause to, to do. All right? he, no human can accomplish this work. No church strategy can accomplish this work. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. There's no one else that can do it. That's why he's praying. That you would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Uh, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. All right, so there's there's several things here that are impossible in the flesh that he's praying. Um, and the, the biggest ones are to know the love of Christ and to be filled with the fullness of God and that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Okay, this is the, the, the very foundation of the church. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, so what, um, why I think it's significant that he goes on that little aside is that he is showing, it's sort of a case study in the way that this is all working. It's sort of a case study in, all right, so here's what happens. Someone gets filled, someone, someone's heart gets filled with Christ himself. And they, they become strengthened with his power in their inner man by the Spirit. And they know his love. And they become filled with him by the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to pour that out to other people. And that's what builds the church. And he's going to come back then in chapter 4 and flesh that idea out. But here he's saying, I've been filled. I've been given grace. And it's to you. Um, so here's, here's the thought I want us to, to kind of chew on tonight. Last week we talked about grace. We talked about how it's we, we always need to remember, regardless of the way that grace or the preaching of grace can be uh, preached incorrectly or, or insufficiently, or at least incomplete, um, we need to rest in that. And we need to know that none of this, none of this will ever be because of us. It is all, always and only because of the grace of God. But what he comes to at the end of chapter 3 is, I think, a fuller description of what that grace looks like. And um, the word that he uses is love. Okay? Grace, uh, grace is really an expression of God's love. And so... Um, we, we, we talked about grace a lot last week, but I, I think that we need to, uh, here in chapter 3, hear the, un, hear the message of love, the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is, um, it's a little different than saying the grace of God. Uh, I mean, th this is, so stick with me here. Um the love of God, the love of Christ, is sort of an ambiguous statement, right? Is it Christ's love toward us? Is it our love toward Christ? Is it me loving you with the love of Christ? Christ's love? Is it the Christ brand of love? <laughs> right? um, and I think the point is, the reason I point that out is I, I think it's all of those things that what builds the church and what ultimately should be the result of God's grace coming into our hearts is that love, when we encounter that love, it is a, it is a, it is a work of power. We, we, we cannot deny the fact that we've experienced the love of Christ when we really experience it. It's, he keeps using the word power. It is a power that comes upon us. And it does not just, it does not, um, we don't just consume it, right? Those who have truly tasted the love of Christ, they erupt with love back to God, back to Christ, okay? And it's when you truly get caught up into that, because it's the work of the Spirit, what's happening is you are being brought into the love that the Father and the Son share. 
And so that's what that is what he's praying that we would that we would know. And I know this might be I'm not doing a very good job explaining this because um, Paul does a better job than anyone. And it's hard to understand what he says. <laughs> um, but the love comes into our hearts and it fills us with the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? It's the love that he shares It's the fellowship between the father and the son and the spirit. It's the thing that before the foundation of the world erupted in fruitfulness. Let us make man in our image. This thing is so good that it can't, it can't just remain with us. Let's, we, we are expanding. We are overflowing with love. And this is, it's a, he says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. This is the very foundation of, uh, of the church, of the, of the building together, the building up of the body. It first happens when an individual encounters the love of Christ. And Paul includes his own story. And I think this week you should go and read Paul's encounter with the love of Christ. His encounter with the love of Christ knocked him off his horse and made him blind. I don't know if it actually says that he it knocked him off his horse. That I think that's just uh, implied. Somebody challenged me on that once, and I was it was one of those things that I was like, "What's that called when you believe something your whole life and then it ends up not being really true?" I forget what that's called. Uh, what is that? Somebody chime in. That's going to bother me. It's not like it's not Stockholm syndrome. It's it's something like that though. Mental effect. Yes. 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 Okay. Thank you. I'm glad that I can put that behind me now. Anyway. Yeah. Paul's own story is, uh, is evidence of his, uh, his encounter with the love of Christ. It made him blind. He couldn't, it was, it was such a bright light that he could not see, uh, for three days. And, um, that was the moment that he experienced the grace and the love. He says, the, the, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And he was given a grace. And yes, it meant grace for Paul. But it also drove him to uh, give his life to, to uh, preach the gospel, the, the, the message to the Gentiles. And so we're not just, when, when he prays, this incredible prayer to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's not just praying that we would know how much God loves us in, in the way that we think of that. This is a, a moving of power that will completely turn you inside out when you know the love of Christ. When it comes upon you, it, it will turn you, it, you, will, you will erupt in worship to God and you will know why you were created. You will know what you are for. You are for loving people. You are for the, the good of other people. And sin is just the opposite of that. Sin is a life lived, curved in on yourself. It, it's, it's a life lived for you, for, for the building up of you. And when you encounter the love of Christ, you suddenly realize that the, the fullness of life is in giving myself to someone else. 
because that's the fullness of life that's shared between the Father and the Son. The Father gave all of who He was to the Son, and the Son gave all of who He was to the Father. And in doing that, they, uh, they created mankind and wanted to give everything that they were to mankind, give them uh, fullness and richness and blessing and stewardship, right? And so Paul is describing this incredible restoration of, of um, the, the purpose that we were created for. And, and the great thing is that, yes, we still live, uh, we still have a lot of work to do. He's going to talk about some of the work that we have to do in our character and our relationships uh, here on, in, in, later. But what's behind all of that is this idea that we are, the church is the breaking into creation of the new creation. That as we build our lives together in response to the love of Christ, we are being fruitful, multiplying, and taking dominion in the way that we uh, originally were, were commissioned as, as humans. We are more fully human having encountered the love of Christ. Um, all right. So I could, I could go on and keep trying to explain that in, in different ways, but that's what he's saying. And, and it's something that he has to pray that they would comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth. The breadth and length and height and depth. There's so many different, it, it's, it, it expands in every direction. Um, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so this is really the whole, I would say this would, um, this is sort of a goofy way of saying it, but this is like the nucleus of the book of Ephesians, this passage right here. Um, everything revolves around, it's right in the middle of the book, and everything hangs on it, okay? And it's almost like he's been um, trying to get to this point for three chapters, He's like, and ultimately, here's what, here's what all of this comes down to, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's it. That's what life is for. Right there. That's the purpose of life, to be filled with the fullness of God. Um, and God has that's always been his plan to fill. Remember in, in Genesis, he, he forms the earth. But then he fills it. He forms man out of the dust, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. This is life itself. This is the breath of life. Um, and he, and then he, he closes with a doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. It's a power. This is a power that is at work. Um, you cannot passively receive the love of God. That would be another way to say it. Any more than you can passively receive anything that, um, anything that inspires awe in you. You cannot passively look at the Grand Canyon. You cannot passively um, go into the, take that boat into the middle of Niagara Falls, right, where it's just roaring around you. That you can you can never passively do that, right? Um, multiply that out many many times. 
you cannot passively experience the love of Christ. It, it throws you on your face. It knocks you off your horse, according to legend. Um, it blinds you for three days. It turns you inside out completely. And it, it directs you. You suddenly see the people that you are for. And it's a glorious thing. And Paul is very specific about his own ministry. And this is the other thing that I would say. So we want to know the love of Christ, but it results in a very specific uh, outworking. And uh, chapter four is really going to turn into um, some, some mundane sounding relational uh, mandates. But none of that is mundane. It's all a response to the explosion of the love of Christ inside of us. And it gets very specific and very particular. Paul himself was very specific and particular about his understanding of his grace. We all have a grace. Chapter 4 says grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so the question I want to say, I want to ask, is, is that, that other, that kind of second step of grace, that second dimension of grace, uh, in addition to the one from last week, it's the grace that is really the love of Christ. And um, have you received the love of Christ? Do you know the love of Christ? Have you been turned outward? And have you seen, uh, have, you, have you received the grace as to you-ward, as to an outward thing, a, a particular set of people that you have been touched by God to, uh, to offer grace and love to them. And that's what the next, uh, that's what the next uh, chapters really hang on. We're rooted and grounded in this love. Yes, God's love for us, but our love back to God and our love for each other. His love really through us for each other. Um, so all of that is, is sort of difficult to explain, but I, I think, you know, I think by the Spirit we're, um, we're seeing it, okay, and we're, we're understanding it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying along with Paul that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And uh, this is the marker of the saints, those who have been touched by the love of Christ and are being built together into a dwelling place. Amen? We need like a, a, a hand signal for amen, like amen or amen. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, all right. Did anyone have anything to add? Oh, I like that. Who did that? The, the little clappy hands on the, on the, there you go. <laughs> what is that? Is that sign language? Who's the, the host? That's sign language. Amen. All right. Anybody want to say anything? Let me just clarify, um, just so I, I, for my own sake, that I know that I've said what I want to say. Um, it all comes down to grace. It's all about grace. But grace works in such a way to turn us outside 
of ourselves, to, to turn us away from sin, to turn us toward God and toward his people. And another word for that, for the way that works, is love. Um, and grace cannot just be passively received. If you truly understand, as it says in Colossians, this reminded me. It says in Colossians here in, in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, 4, Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and you the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it does so among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Right? When the grace of God is understood in truth, it begins to bear fruit and grows and the gospel spreads. Because why? People have, have been turned outward and they have responded to the love of God and are, are beginning to um, move toward the people that God also loves and wants to love through them. Um, so that's what I want to say about grace and then connecting it to his prayer that they would know the love of Christ. All right. One person say something. We'll response. Didn't you you said something to me like back in the day, you said, you're not saved by faith, you're saved by grace. But, I mean, that doesn't mean anything to this, probably, but that's what I thought of. But when you yeah. and me talk about grace, you're not saved by faith, you're saved by grace. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly, I don't remember that particular conversation. Yeah. We, we talked some of that. We, we did talk, we talked about that last week. Um, about yeah. how we, the way God saved us. Nothing could ever be attributed to us. And and sometimes we, we get in the place where um, we, we want to kind of be, be deserving of his grace or be, to be found worthy of grace. But we never will be. That just will never happen. Uh, we're yeah. never going to be people worthy of grace or else grace wouldn't be grace. Um, so, yeah, it's not like grace comes to those who have worked up the faith. No, it's it's grace. And we respond to grace by faith. It is a grace that we even can respond by faith. One thing that it made me think of was uh, in Second Corinthians five fourteen. It says, "For the love of Christ controls us." And yes. I think that King James says, "Compels us," because he, we have concluded. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for yes. him who for their sake died and was raised. So that just made me think yeah. that's the same context for describing love. Perfect. That kind of yeah. Yeah, that is right, right on. Yeah, Grant. Hey, so um, while you were talking about uh, the breadth and width and height and depth. Um, we talked about this some at home group the other night, but I just, a different thought came to my mind specifically uh, tonight while you were talking about it was that if you're going to know something rather than know about it, you would have to have a first person perspective, not a third person perspective. And when we think about it having three dimensions, you think of a cube 
existing on a piece like on, on your geometry in your textbook and you see the, the, the way that you figure volume, right? Yeah. But yeah. If, if you were to know something, not know about something, you'd be in the middle of it, which would mean you'd look up for height, down for depth, and then, you know, length and breadth would be side with the, the two different planes horizontally. And so just like the concept of it being something that you'd have to know from being in it rather than know about from looking at it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It reminds me too of when in Revelation, when uh, the angels are measuring the temple, the heavenly temple of God, um, and it's a cube, you know, that, uh, it reminded me of that. Anybody else? Yeah, I'll just, this is Steven. I'll just say real quick, uh, this week I've been listening to a lot of like super old hymns and reading some older writings from some of the older pastors and, and that kind of stuff. And something that stuck out to me is how, you know, the things they're singing about or talking about, it really is, it sounds completely different because they're using like this old language, but the themes are exactly the same things that we're, you know, experiencing today. Yeah. And this theme of like knowing the love of Christ is retained through, you know, throughout the ages, yeah. you know, you go anywhere throughout Christian writings, that theme is so essential yeah. uh, and so alive. Uh, so I thought that was kind of neat how there are these, these subjects that are retained throughout history. And I think it means that these things are like, they're not neat things to learn about, but they're completely essential to, our walk with Christ. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. And th that's a huge one to know the love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. With all the saints, there's that, that sense of, of, uh, continuity all through history. Anyone who's ever been known as a saint, uh, who's been in Christ has, has been in it because of that. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, if, and if not, I want to actually want to close with that song. Um, I can, I can actually just. I have my guitar right here. I'll, I'll sing it. Um, but that love divine song. That's a Wesley song, and uh, it's a Wesley hymn. And as we were singing it tonight, um, I just thought it was it was right where, right where we need to be in our spirits. And uh, so, I don't know who was doing the words. Are you able to bring that back up? Yep. Okay. Well, you work on that. I'm going to grab my guitar and then we can close in a song.
right, let's sing. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou
pray that we would, uh, according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being. Lord, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Lord, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Lord, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> 